0: You by yourself on a stage entertaining people for an hour. It's the hardest thing to do. No production, but it's just you. And now and in the industry, they know. Actors know. So... It's great to be able to have that talent where you can sit down and tell the story
1: and people are engaged in that story. And that's what it's about for me. That's what I love to say. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Dyrdek, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Travis Makes Friends podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us, a comedian, an actor, and host who has been making waves in Hollywood for years now, and now he's a Vegas local, so imagine that. He's a two-time Emmy nominee and has been heard on the Joe Rogan Experience, Adam Carolla show, recently starred in his critically acclaimed comedy special, I Never Thought, and now he's here to share his stories with us. Not only is he a successful entrepreneur, comedian, host, entertainer, but he's also a proud father, loving husband. He has a bottomless pool of material about his family that he incorporates into stand-up routines. And he's worked alongside some of the biggest names in the industry, including Chelsea Handler and Joe Coy. As an actor, he starred in Apple TV Plus series, Amber Brown, recurred on Kevin Can Wait, and shot the Damon Wayans Jr. pilot, Happy Together, for CBS. He's even been a principal in Facebook Watch's first sitcom series, Starter Pack. But that is not all. He's also hosted (laughs) his own own podcast, The Yo Show, where he's interviewed some of the biggest names in entertainment, including Kevin Hart, The Rock, Jennifer Aniston. Etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and let's not forget that he coached Courtney and Chloe Kardashian oh as radio gosh. DJs for their show, Courtney and Chloe Take Miami, over on the E Network. So, please, without further ado, please give a warm welcome to our guest, the one and only Michael Yell. What's up, my man? What's up, How are dude? you doing? Well, man, doing well, dude.
0: That's a long list, that's crazy. I've done that in such a you know, I moved to LA in 2007. From where I was in Miami, okay, so I it was so, It's such a crazy ride in how fast things can go. And then you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I'm an adult with two kids. And, and life is even crazier because when you're young, you think, oh, I was so busy. Yeah. But then when you have kids, you realize, oh, I wasn't busy I didn't oh. understand the meaning of yeah. the word busy. Yeah, yeah. busy right. back then was just like, oh, I got one meeting today. Now it's like chasing kids around, you know, and the wife and yeah. going to this place, <clears throat> going that. But I love it, man. I love yeah. the journey. That's what's so great is the journey.
1: You, you guys have help with your kids? No. No, not much. No. You know what? You know, I like family around. No oh, nannies. we do. We do. Okay, okay. we
0: do have in-laws around, but my wife is all about. Just the kiddos. I don't want anybody around our kids. Like, she's like, I want to be the mom. I don't sure. want, you know, we had a, we had a help in LA, then the pandemic hit. And I think that kind of, you know what, I, I don't want to say love, but what I liked about the pandemic, it made people sit there and go, do I really need to be in this spot I'm at right now? Mm, and yeah. that spot was in LA for us. And I go, no, yeah. we don't. It made people reevaluate their lives, find out what's really important yeah. in their lives. And I think that's why you saw so much movement. Because yeah. people were like, first, financially, there was a lot of movement. But then some people were just like, oh, I don't need to be here. Yeah, this is right. not the place for me. And you never
1: realize that till you're gone. Yeah, and for you, it was more like a it was a legitimate physical place. Yes. It wasn't even just a mental headspace. It was like, well, why don't we... Uh, Get out of here. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, it was. It was. And it, my wife loved it because she went to UNLV. She oh, ran no track okay. for UNLV. Her nice. parents live here. So, you know, babysitters, you know, so yeah, we got right. instant babysitters that we trust. It was mentally, when you're gone from LA, LA is a very mentally draining place mm. because you always in it. So it's a vortex. It is. Yeah. It is. And I, I tell everybody, it's almost like if everybody worked at McDonald's and everybody wanted to be the manager at that McDonald's, yeah. but everybody's talking about who's on the fries, who's on the register, who's on this. And that's all you hear all day. Right. You know, okay. how, how, why are they working the fries? I want to work the fries. You know? Yeah, right. That's all you hear in LA is the industry. Right. You know? Right. When you move here, man, I've gotten booked on so much stuff.
1: Really? Way
0: more than LA. Mm. Cause I think there's no stress out here and you do, there's no weight on you here. Yeah. I kind of do it and then I'll come and do your podcast. I had audition early, do it, come do your podcast and then, you know, hang out with family.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that, I think that's like even just a psychologically more attractive thing to people who are decision makers who are like watching the audition or trying to select you know, people for something. It's like, if you come in with this like needy desperation that like, Oh, I'm, I need this part. Like, I'm so, I'm so perfect. Can I do it again? You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, back off, bro. It's so (laughs) true. Like, like you
0: need to have this, this airness of this. uh,
1: Calm, calm, calm. Like I, I want the role. Of course you wouldn't be there. But I don't need the role. You wouldn't be there if you didn't want it. And I actually,
0: you know, it's so interesting when you're in the acting world, You know there's different strategies some coaches will say oh just have the script in your hand and you know look off of it and you want to create some coaches like you want to create the image that you're so busy and this is just another audition. Yeah. Cause yeah. that helps actors get into the kind of throwaway and not overacting. Sure. And then some acting coaches are like, no, know it off book, don't have the script and really go for it. Mm. You know, so it all depends where you land on that spectrum.
1: You where, know? where where do you land on that spectrum? It
0: it depends okay. on the role. You know what I mean? If it's comedy, I know comedy, so I really just go <laughs> for it. Yeah. But if it's more dramatic, you know, and it's a long so sometimes you get scripts. 10, 15 pages if it's, if you're like the lead. And what's interesting about that, when I first started acting, if I got five pages, it would freak me out. Yeah. And you learn things are just muscle. Yeah. Everything's a muscle. Yeah. And once you just do it and do it and do it, it becomes easy
1: really easy. Do, do you have, um, when you're going to, I've always wondered this, do you, do you have like a, any information on like the, the decision makers, the producers or, or casting yes. directors?
0: So when they send you, it's called a breakdown when they send you the breakdown of the role and every, they say, who's the casting directors, who's the production company. And if you're really into the role, what I do is I look up the casting directors, see what they've casted before. I look at the show, like if the producers have done a show in the past, yeah. cause they kind of have the same beats, you know, they create the same thing over and over just totally you know and so I look at what they've done and then I try to find an actor that okay this role is like that and they like this so Mm. you do your own research you know what I mean so you gotta feel
1: the audience though which in that case is the producer
0: yeah so once you make casting happy it goes to the producers so if the producers know oh he's done work and actually figuring out this character and knowing what we like
1: yeah puts you in a lot better position sure so I want to go a little bit back in time here yeah give the audience a little bit of context you know we've gave we gave the 30 second bio but to dig in a little bit further into the past and find out you know how you got to where you are today so you grew up half black half asian yes which i'm sure comes and i still am half black, uh, and asian. Yeah. yeah i grew up <laughs> to this day I, to this day i'm still that <laughs> wow. half black and half asian so extreme privilege yes yeah.
0: extreme <laughs> i'm trump's favorite person Let me black and asian i mean i'm crushing it right now
1: <laughs> okay so let's go back on a more serious note Age 12, age 13, take us back to that time in your life. Set the scene. What was it like being Michael Yeo, 12 years old?
0: Predominantly all-white neighborhood. Okay. And Uh, where were you? Houston, Texas. Predominantly all-white neighborhood. Mom was amazing, but strict. Dad was hardcore strict. Hmm. You know, my dad has a PhD in nuclear physics. Military guy, so it was that kind of dad. It was my mom really not letting me know about the Korean culture, because at that time people made fun of her. You know, this is when they would pull their eyes back and say racially charged things at my mom. Yeah. And this was real. You know, this sure. is not just it's interesting. People that and it's Texas. It's Texas. Yeah. People don't really believe things unless it happens to them. Yeah. Or if it's close to them. Yeah. And that's the problem with anecdotal. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, almost. If it's yeah. not close to you, it doesn't really matter to you. It's not that you don't care about it. Sure. It just doesn't affect you. Right. So I'm seeing my mom go through this and she took the position. Oh, I don't really want to teach them Korean or make it more Asian because mm-hmm. I don't want them to be made fun of. So that was interesting growing up.
1: I was great at sports. You know, so, so your mom spoke fluent Co- Korean fluent like but not first language. Me. Yes. Okay. First language. So then, but then she didn't teach you any of it? None. Okay.
0: Because she wanted me to be Americanized yeah. because people made fun of her when do, she moved here.
1: Do you look back on that as like, a, I wish I knew Korean? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. But at the same time, I
0: probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing because hmm. I would have been an international businessman. Yeah, I know it yeah, yeah. because I'm good with people. Yeah. I love traveling. And if I knew Korean, yeah. oh my gosh, like I, I would have never done comedy or so, I would have never been on this podcast. I probably would have been a different kind of successful. Sure. So, but yeah, I think it's almost like a crime my mom didn't teach me because of how society was at that time. So yeah, well, I think it's I got almost, robbed by society. <clears throat> exactly. More than my mom. Oh uh, yeah, you
1: know? 100%. Yeah, cuz cuz it's automatically like teaching you this version of life that means that you need to adapt to what people want you to be mm-hmm. rather than be the truest version of who you actually are. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And exactly. you learn that from such a young age that's how you go throughout all of life and yeah. start realizing that like, oh, that's actually not the best strategy for yeah, like
0: Yeah, but but you anything. know what's good is I saw that. Yeah. And to this day, when I write comedy, you know, I'm always that guy that tries to say things I went through, but never attack anybody for that. Mm. And I think that's why when you go to my shows, it's so many different colors and yeah. backgrounds, <laughs> incomes, because I, I kind of bring a message of love, mm-hmm. but I do want you to know what I went through. There's too. also reality. Yeah. It's a hundred percent reality. I want you to know what I went through. Mm-hmm. I want you to know that this really happened, mm-hmm. but I don't want to attack you for it. Sure. You know, cause sure. you didn't do it to me. And I feel like the problem in America today is people just want acknowledgement that yeah. stuff happened. Right. right. You know what I mean? Like I saw a meme the other day, you know, this whole reparations thing, right? I saw a meme the other day where a guy was like, I didn't own you. You didn't pick any cotton. I don't owe you shit, you know? Yeah. And I go, that's the wrong way to approach that. Just think if we acknowledge what people went through, there would be like less stress in the world. If you, if a black person, empathy, empathy. if a black person said, Hey man, my people went through slavery. We built this country. We should, you know, be, we should get something for it. And if a person of another color said, you know what? You're right. You're right. Yeah. I don't control those things. Yeah,
1: but I could see your. And point. I don't know how to go and do it fairly, how, or any of those things. But that. But I acknowledge sense. that your people went through that, <clears throat> and that you are probably disadvantaged
0: as a result of it. That. that and that's yeah. it. And that's yeah. it. And guess what? That person would feel heard. Yeah. And then you move on. Yeah. Instead of trying to say you don't deserve anything because you didn't go, and I think that's the problem. And I think it's on the opposite side. I hear a lot of my white friends going, well, I feel like I'm always being attacked now because I'm white. And I go, you know what? You're absolutely right. Yeah. Because the news will promote any time a white person does anything to a person of color. Yeah. you're I acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand what you're going through. That's it. But that's, that's it. And then they go from here to. Yeah. All right. Just de-escalation. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. Like, okay. Well, <laughs> all right. you want to go to lunch? Oh, yeah.
1: Totally sure. dude. You know? Yeah. So
0: it's it's one of those things where we just need to acknowledge each other. Yep. What we, we went through. Nobody's problem is bigger than somebody else's problem. Yeah. And it's almost like everybody wants to one up their problem it, it's just, against it, each other.
1: Sharpening the ability to see a little bit of yourself in somebody that you don't think that you could have. Yes. There's like something about that, about that skill set, which is actually one of the big reasons the show exists is like I interview such a wide array of people, because I find that if you just dig in a little bit to somebody's story, you'll find something about it that you're like, no shit, me too. And it gives you that, like, just a little bit of a different perspective. Cause we all have this, like this arrogance where we believe that we would be the same person, no matter what happened to us growing up. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that I would have these values and these morals and I would end up at the exact same place that I'm at right now if I was born there, if I was born there, if I had those parents, if I had those parents, because I, would just, I, I just, I'm not like that. I just would have figured it out. It's like odds are like you wouldn't have because we are all the result of a bunch of experiences that's just this conglomerate of just like something that happened to you a person that had influence on you tv shows radio whatever that you watched or listened to growing up the influences that you had in your life that's all we are is this cultivation and then our personality plays a part in that yep you know so like odds are you would probably be very similar to this person if you grew up in the exact same environment that they grew up Man. in and just the not like you said just the acknowledgement of being like i could see how you could believe that I still don't believe that like my opinion is this based on my experiences and everything I've been through, but I can see how you would adopt that perspective.
0: And you got to throw in their choices. Like we've all had choices where our life could have went a different way. Mm -hmm. You know, I I remember that one of the biggest, I don't want to call it a regret because I probably would have never met my wife, had my beautiful kids. But I remember in college football when I was playing for Arkansas, the coach came up to me. And goes, all right, because I I got hurt the first day of practice. I gained like 30 pounds, but muscle, like I was Mm -hmm. working out all the time. So I come in as a receiver, and I was about 220, 230. I mean, I came in at 180, but I got up to like 230. And the guy goes, and this was way back in the day, my head coach goes, you're still fast. Do you want to play tight end? He goes, I think Tight ends are going to start catching footballs and then we're going to start throwing to the tight end. That's mm-hmm. never happened in football. Yeah. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's horrible. I don't want to sit
1: there and block. <laughs> so what you're telling me is I need to cut weight. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> what you're telling me is like, I'm going to be a lineman, right? <laughs> and literally, the person that said yes won three Super Bowl rings mm-hmm. with the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. Well, the I guy that I was here. faster than, <laughs> the guy that, you know, so it's that life choice where. Oh, I probably would have made the NFL if yeah. I went that direction, you know, because I still would have been a receiver, but a bigger receiver, mm. you know, and it's just those life choices where it's like, yo, I would have loved to play that out yeah. just to see. Like if I had a time machine, I love my life now, but if I could see how that would have played out, yeah, I would have loved to see that journey, Sure, too, yeah. you know what I mean? But that's a choice. and. That's the thing about life. Like you said, you're you, you take choices, actions and every personality, you put it all together where you're from. And that's what makes you who you are. And that's what's so beautiful about life, because those choices, too, can ruin your life. Yeah. So right. you can't tell a person that any race that comes from an underprivileged area, schools, finances, yeah. food. Yeah, I love uh, Theo Vaughn's bits about that, about how poor he grew up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that that bit's genius.
1: (laughs) It's genius. It works on so many ways. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it works (laughs) so many ways. And and what's great about that bit, it speaks to white people, black people. It's like, yo, we all going through the same shit. You know what I mean? So it's great. I think that bit's one of his best bits ever.
1: Sure, yeah. So, okay, so you grew up in Texas. Yep, Houston. Uh, Your mom decided to try to raise you more Americanized. Yep. So how did that affect you going throughout like, you know, middle school, high school? Were you focused on were you focused on sports? Were you focused on grades, you know, popular girls? Well,
0: okay. so first thing, I was not popular. I was popular on the field, but I was not popular in school. I I never made any list. I was kind of a nerd. Okay, you know, I knew a lot of people now. I I don't want to say I was like. I was definitely not the kid that was sitting in the lunchroom alone. Yeah. But I would sit with all the athletes. But I wasn't like the cool athlete, sure, sure, if sure. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I was always, I wasn't the one the girls liked. But also, I was kind of like in that zone of I was a, I was an only child, so I was like, oh, I it doesn't matter. I learned really early, it doesn't matter what other people think. Yeah, I'm gonna make it. Yeah, and I, that got installed in me in middle school because I I was always looked different. It wasn't really mixed couples sure. i mean now you turn on the tv every couple is yes yeah. i right. it took all my life to see that till yeah. three years ago yeah. you know what i mean now right. you can't find a same color couple yeah. on tv <laughs> you know so now they know how i feel you know for the last 40 something years of my life you know so it's 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 interesting to see that turn on its head so i've always been that guy that just looked different sure. And people were like, oh, you know. You but, and Tiger Woods, bro. Me and Tiger Woods. Yeah. <laughs> we were there, bro. It was kind of like, you know, like girls would go, oh, you're pretty good looking for a black guy. You know, like that was so normal <laughs> because people didn't know how to. I think- Yeah. I was like, is that a compliment? I I don't know. But yeah. So my
1: dad still said no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So it was a thing where at 12, 13, you know, I, I wasn't popular at school. I was good at sports. terrible at like academics. You know, I
1: was like a C minus. But you started working at like doing radio or something when you were oh yeah 13, 14, 14
0: 15 years old yeah okay. but I, i've always had a passion for work my okay. dad bought me an air gun when that was big like bell biv Defoe and all these people i would spray like kind of spray art okay graffiti art yeah and i made shirts in the morning and sold them at school nice and this was like like 13 i always and had my, that itch i i love business yeah. i love selling stuff yeah you know and i love controlling my own destiny so i would that's go that's the big thing that's, 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 the, that's thing. the thing. And I learned that at 13 because I would see TV because everybody was wearing this spray paint. And that was the trend then. Mm-hmm. So I would look at TV, spray, spray it up, you know, spray out some clothes, some overalls or a shirt. So that's cool. Boom, done. People started giving me clothes to spray paint, <laughs> you know, so, you know, yeah. so airbrush, they called it. Yep, so yep. It, it was it was cool at that age. So that's where I was. I was an entrepreneur. I was an only child. I did my own thing. And I didn't need anybody's. Like acceptance, really, mm. and it really never bothered me till later in life, when you really thought about what you went through. That's what's interesting about it. when uh, I'm in it, I didn't really know. Yeah, 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 and I didn't really care. When you think
1: when you're a kid, you just think everything you're going through is normal because you have zero other context into what other people experience.
0: Absolutely, it's kind of like oh,
1: this is totally normal.
0: It's kind of when <laughs> you watch football and you're like, oh, if that guy would have cut that way, they would have had a touchdown because you're in the game. Right. When you're in the game, you don't see that kind of stuff. I didn't realize how bad it—not bad—but I didn't realize how I really felt about it till like adulthood. Mm. My whole high school experience, my whole experience at home, where my family was not the "I love you" family. Like I, they never told me they loved me. Mm. I had to force my mom to tell me she loved me at like 29 years old. Really? I didn't even know it was a thing. To tell you the truth, people said that all the time to each other. Really, but. Wow that wasn't a big deal in our household. Sure. It was like, oh no, we, we do it by action. It's all about actions. It's not about the word. I mean, which is
1: a fair, kind of a fair point. Is you it get though, that is <laughs> it?
0: Wouldn't <laughs> it be nice for your mom to say, I love you or your dad? I, I yeah. think that's nice too, right? Yeah,
1: that is also nice. But yeah. if I'm gonna pick one of them, I think I would rather them show me they love me rather than just saying they love me and then go fuck off and do whatever they want to do. Yeah, but they can treat do, me like. I but didn't they can like do both. Oh, the, they can
0: tell you they this, love you the, and yeah, actually oh, love you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, okay. No, yeah, I'm yeah. not arguing that you yeah. shouldn't
1: tell your kids you love them. Yes, but, but I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, like that. Like I think that probably positively affected you in ways maybe you like ha- haven't even like really looked at is that they showed you love. You know what I mean? But then yes. also really negatively affected you when no, it's like they you didn't learned, tell you. And that's
0: what you learn later in life. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, and now as a comic, you kind of analyze every, like, piece of your past. Yeah, looking for material. And how, looking for material, and still my thank God my parents are still alive. So I'm always digging into that, yeah. that, that treasure chest of why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do did they that? Have an Answer for that one. Did you, did you ask them that? Yeah. Or? My mom says she sp- speaks by actions. My dad and mom believe if you, I love you is such a throwaway word mm. after you say like, when my parents say I lo- to this day I'll tell them they love me I love you and they'll be like yeah okay they're like eh, <laughs> thank right. you thank you <laughs> thank you what am I supposed to say you know but when they do say it it means something so that's what their thing is they feel like I love you is just thrown around and yeah. it doesn't mean anything after a while it's just something you say yeah, yeah. you know and they rather do it by action so I'm used to that sure, now, sure, and it's fine. But, but it's when raising you're my face, kids, yeah. no, it's. But that experience though makes me complete opposite. Where I may tell my kids I love them way too much, <laughs> yeah. you know. Where my son is like, "Stop, Dad! <laughs> yeah. I know you love me," you yeah. know.
1: I feel like I do the same thing is with, with my kids. Like I say it all the time. I think it's kind of derived from this sense that that's like that's like the core thing that I want to get across to my kids is that I love them because. I don't know who they're going to end up being and I don't know what path they're going to end up choosing. I don't know any of those things. And I have almost no control over, over those things. And I think that if you try to take that control, it's going to be met with rebellion, especially if they have my genes in them. Because how how old are your kids? Super young. My, my son is going to be four next week.
0: My daughter's two. So the reason why I tell my kids, I love them so much because they're very young and I, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, You know what I mean? You never know what's going to be in store for you the next day, yeah. the next hour. Yeah. So I want all the memories that have at such a young age because they don't fully comprehend love. Sure. sure. So I want to fill their life up with a lot of I love you's. So it, maybe they'll remember that if something were, God forbid, to ever happen to me. Yeah. And that's why I say it so much. Because yeah. I, I would hate for my kids, if something ever happened to me, for my kids to grow up going, did my dad even love me? Yeah. yeah. Where my son, I say it so many times a day, where he's like, he goes, I know, you love me. <laughs> now, because to me, yeah. a success, a win in being a parent is your kid really feeling that you love them? Yeah. And my daughter is three. She really doesn't comprehend it mm-hmm. yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So my goal is to stay alive long enough for both of them to fully comprehend it, which my son does. Yeah. And that's success for me as a parent because yeah. I want them to know that the rest of their lives. And that's why I say it so much.
1: Yeah, and that's, I, I totally agree. That kind of is exactly the reason that, that, that I say it so much too, is that I kind of going off what I was saying earlier is this, whatever path they choose, I just want them to know that that's the core of everything. It's like, if we have conversations and I'm telling you, I'm disagreeing with something or I'm being, you know, being dad and, and you don't want me to be, it's just like putting everything else aside. If you know 100% for sure that my core like value, when it comes to my relationship with you is built on love and wanting absolutely everything best for you. then I think we're going to be fine. Regardless of if you end up on the opposite end of the spectrum, or if we're doing, if you end up doing this thing that I just don't understand or I don't get, it's just like if you know that that one thing, I think, I think, I think we're going to be okay.
0: And yeah. I come from the world where since my parents never said it, I just assumed it. Yeah, like I never questioned it. Here's what the, I never questioned it.
1: Yeah, interesting.
0: And that's what I like about the whole experience. I never questioned it. But I'm also like, oh, it would have been nice to hear it. So now you take those lessons. Because what parenting is, is taking the best from your parents and leaving the bad. Yeah. You know, like. Absolutely. And, and then hopefully your kids will be a better parent than you. Totally. You that's know what purpose. I mean?
1: So yeah, yeah. We should all be learning. Like, absolutely. That's how society grows as a whole. Rather, like, not just individual people. It's hopefully I do a little bit better parenting than my parents did. Yes. I know that they did a better job than their parents did said, hopefully my kids do a better job than I do. Yeah.
0: You know? I, I said in my comedy special, which everybody, you know, I said, the thing you hear is, Oh, as parents, you get softer and softer and softer. And I go, yeah, and that's true, but it's not bad too. Yeah. Cause it means we're learning and growing. Like, and I go, my grandfather was born in 1902. You know, my black grandfather was born in 1902 in America, went through injustices. You couldn't even imagine mm. my dad not too long ago, went through segregation Yeah, and had to march. My dad had to march just to drink out of the same water fountains. That's wild. As everybody else. To, had to march. And I go, This me? is your father. This is not my father. Great, great, no. great. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is my right. father. I had to march to drink out of water fountains. Yeah. And I go, Me? I would never drink out of a fountain. That's disgusting. <laughs> so that's the evolution of it. You know what I mean? Like, like they fought, fought to drink so out of a water yeah. fountain. And I'm like, that's like, disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Why would you fight for that? You know what I mean? So yeah. that's just that's just our parents fought for us to have a better life. And I'm living a better life than my dad. Yeah. yeah. And I'm definitely living a better life than my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And that just proves generational wealth, too. Yeah. If you come from money you know, you're gonna have better opportunities. And that just shows in real life. Like I I wasn't from money, yeah. but I've had more privileges
1: than my dad has. Sure, You know what I mean? And to me, it's not even the opportunity, it's, it's the mindset. Yeah. I mean, as you know, that's everything to everybody, yes. regardless of your background, or how you're born, where you come from, what you started with, what you didn't start with. If you have the right mindset, you can be successful in anything that you wanna do. Literally, it starts in your own mind. It does. However, if you grow up a certain way, you have more opportunities to adopt that mindset and see the results of that mindset playing out in front of you so that you can go attack that with the same veracity as your you know parents did or something like that. Whereas if you grow up somewhere else, it's like, you're telling me it's all about mindset, but I don't have like there's I don't see any example of anybody around me that, that is from where I am from that did what you're talking about. So I don't believe it's possible. I still don't I, believe
0: it. I agree with you. But then at times, I think ignorance is great too. And let me tell you why. Hmm. Ignorance played a big role in my comedy career. Okay. First time I went up. Like in comedy, you're supposed to do three minutes, Mm -hmm. then five minutes, and then you go to eight minutes, and then you go to 12, then 15, and that's how you grow as a comedian. I never knew those rules. And sometimes when you don't know the rules, when you're ignorant to the rules, You just kind of make your own. Yeah. The first time I ever went up, I did 15 minutes. <laughs> I didn't know you weren't supposed to do that, right? Yeah. So how did it go? Great. It went amazing. I got off stage and I go, "This is what I was born to do." Mm-hmm. I called my mom and told her that. Wow. The next night, the owner saw me that night of the Miami Improv. I'll never forget. He goes, "That was really your first time." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "All right, you're going to open up for the Waynes Brothers tomorrow night." Oh, Sean sure. and Marlon Waynes. I go there. I know them, so it's cool. And they said, watch for the light. Get off when the light comes on. This is my second time ever performing. I don't even know what a light is. (laughs) So I go way long again. I go back there. Mom was like, what the fuck are you doing? Didn't you say what? But he was joking, right? Yeah, 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 Because it went well. But that's the thing is, that's the one time. I felt like, oh, if I knew the rules, I wouldn't have grown as fast. Sure, because I would have been at three minutes and five minutes, and then, but I didn't know that, so I was like, let me just go out and do fifteen, right, and make it work. I'm not saying it was.
1: Great, sure, yeah, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, that that mean that could be a formative experience if you just go up and bomb for fifteen for fifteen minutes. minutes. Yeah, I wouldn't have done that. Maybe I don't call my mom after this one. No, exactly,
0: (laughs) exactly. But it's I do think sometimes when it's all laid out in front of you too, yeah,
1: you can get lazy. Sure, you're
0: like, oh, this is what I do. You know, this is going to be and that clearly happens to a lot of
1: people who had a lot of those examples. To your point,
0: it it's it's about passion, man. It really comes down to passion and how much you want it. And we all kick ourselves in the ass sometimes and go, yo, I'm j- why am I not, I need to go, I need to go, I need to go. Sure. You know, like one of the most motivating things about living in Las Vegas to me is I love David Goggins. And he lives right down the street from me, yeah. so I'm dropping my kids off, and this dude See, is like running. running beside my car, <laughs> and I was like, man, I feel like a loser. This and, dude and it's is his running 34th mile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this dude is running beside my car. I feel like I should be carrying my son <laughs> yeah. on my shoulders, running to school. You know, running since two a.m. Yeah, right. And I'm like, this dude is living what he's talking. Right. I'm watching it every single morning. Yeah. This guy is running. This guy is doing what he's preaching, yeah. and that's what it pumps me up so much like I've listened to both of his books and man he's so inspiring to me because he's not just saying it Mm -hmm. like my dad said don't talk about it be about it he's being about it because I see it I remember I was driving to the gym one day and this dude ran past my car at a light and I go I'm driving to a gym And this dude just (laughs) ran by my car. I'm in air conditioning. This this dude's just like, you know, and it kind of pumped me. So, like,
1: wiping out the sleep.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. And I'm like, (laughs) God, this is, and that pumps me up so much to see somebody like that really is living that life. Sure. They preach. Because a lot of people, just to sell books, they'll say something. They
1: don't live it. This dude lives it, you know. Absolutely. No, which is why he's gotten as popular. Absolutely. And it's genuine, it's real. I love him. Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need a hire, you need Indeed. Okay, so back into the timeline a little bit. Yeah. You end up going to college in Arkansas. University of Arkansas. So you go further south. Yes <laughs>
0: yes I went to, I went yeah. to Arkansas I was supposed to go to another college on a football scholarship. me and my friend were supposed to go to that school okay but he bailed on that school the last minute so we were both set up to go there and I did, the only reason I was going because we wanted to play together but I didn't want gotcha. to go to his new school so it was kind of past the time of you know where they were offering scholarships at that time so I had to walk on on Arkansas, cause they liked me. They had a scholarship for me, but it was too late then. So I walked on they said, we'll give you a scholarship. you you know, your second year or whatever that was. So I went there and first day of practice, I pulled my hamstring and we were a test school for creatine. So we were, they were pumping us with creatine. I got jacked. I never lifted weights really in high school and I yeah. got huge. And you know, I became a linebacker and just took too many hits to the head. And you know, I had to quit football.
1: How do you look on that experience? As a whole in life. Great.
0: I think it's so good I didn't continue to play football. Yeah. Because I see these athletes with the concussions, with the CTE, and just to see them walk around. I mean, they're like, you know, it, it beats your body
1: up do you look on it like i'm really glad that i did like are there any lessons that you feel like you learned playing football that you wouldn't have learned otherwise yeah teamwork
0: i learned you learn responsibility yeah you learn to take care of your own stuff you know like your position on your on the field you got to take care of that because if you don't you let a lot of people down around you and also at the same time, you got to be held responsible for your own actions. Like, you got to be at the offseason working out to make yourself better. Because when it comes down to it, it's a team sport. But for you to make it to that next level, you need to do work on yourself.
1: Yeah. Right. You
0: know what I mean? Yeah. And it's the, it's the competition. It's the mentality of winning mm-hmm. that it instills in you from a little kid, like, you know, they said right now we give away participation trophies and all. whatever. I don't get into that. But what I do see out there, because my son's six, they want to win. Yeah. If you're just that's instilling biology. that, yeah. yeah, you need to win. Yeah. And that's what they they want to win the race. They want to win the game. Yeah. So that's instilled. And that's what you learn from sports that you don't really learn in anything else. Like video games, you can hit hit it again and play it again. Yeah. In a game, once that game is gone, it's done,
1: you know? Are you encouraging your kids to get into certain sports or be out of certain sports or just let them do whatever they want?
0: Here's what's interesting. My parents, I would have to ask them to do something. Okay. With our son, it's kind of like, what do you want to do? And we'll take him to something like twice. Okay. And he'll let us know. Yeah. He loves golf. He loves swimming. Football, baseball, not so much. Well,
1: Basketball, golf, yeah, and swimming have a lot more longevity, than,
0: right? than Football, has. so, but he's six, and it's gonna change. But I'm just excited to see what he's gonna be like. Yeah, I, this is the one sure. I want to do, and that's gonna be super exciting because he's he's very gifted as an athlete. Yeah, we say, knew that at two.
1: I'd say it's like a new version of fun as a parent. It's gotta be, I, I would imagine to like watch your kid compete at a high level. Yeah. To be that invested in the result or outcome of what's happening in front of you, you know, and it, I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting to see some parents say their kids are good at sports at a young age. And then when you, they'll show you the film, you're like, oh, he's really not that good. That's what <laughs> I learned from my parents is honesty. Yeah. I never overhype my son. Yeah, If I tell you he's good, he's good at something. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like at golf, it's unbelievable. Like that's at two years swing. old, coaches were like, how old is he? Really? He just, for some reason has this golf swing that's ridiculous, That's, that's you know? Awesome. So we'll
1: see, we'll that's see. What I, told, I told my wife, I was like, our kids can play whatever they want to play in addition to golf. Yeah, <laughs> <'Cause>, in addition <laughs> I to like, golf. Because I played a lot of basketball growing up and for me, it was the same thing. I just got, I beat up my body so much. And part of it was just that, like the school that I went to was not very well equipped yeah. to teach us how to take care of your body at all. So they actually facilitated some of my injuries and like looking back on it, you know, but yeah, I I wish I would have played just a lot more golf growing up because I I love golf now because it's just fun. Yeah. You don't have to be, you know, if I go play pickup basketball, it's like an event that I got to go do and it's a workout and it's still fun, but it's not like, it's not like golf, you know, like golf is just, you can do that. I, I went golfing. Two, three months ago with my 92-year-old grandpa.
0: That's beautiful. You know,
1: like and the, he's not gonna go play a pickup game with me. No,
0: and that's <laughs> you know? why I want to learn golf, because my son loves it. I've yeah. never played. Okay. So I want to learn because that's something he can grow up, me and him can just hit the course yeah. and have dad and son time. I wanna establish that. But I also believe, too, if you're old over a certain age. And you can't go pro in that sport anymore. You need to stop playing. Like <laughs> I have friends that are over 40 that still play basketball and get hurt all the torn ACL, everything. And I'm like, why are you playing? You're not going pro. You just need to give up on that dream. It'll do some treadmill work. Yeah, and stuff. It's, yeah. it's like doing ellipticals, you know, <laughs> like just give up on that. Like, why are you still playing basketball?
1: Oh, dude, it's so fun. I, I told I literally I played last weekend and I hurt myself for it wasn't debilitating, but it was like a Charlie horse. And it like yeah. made me limp for a couple of days. And I was, I was telling my wife that I was like, I love doing it because it's, it's something that I still enjoy. It gets, it's fantastic cardio that you can't replicate in any part of the gym. But I was like, there's, there's guys that play pickup here that just make it not fun because they're so invested in the outcome of this, like pickup. And I'm a competitive dude. I do not like to lose. But at the end of the day, guys, this is Saturday morning pickup basketball. Like you are not going pro. You did not play pro. You didn't even play college. Like. Hey, maybe well, it's not that big of a deal. No, <laughs> you know? because this
0: is their, a that's lot the of thing, people, this the is their, their week. it's their highlight. Yep. Oh, we want to pick up basketball game. And the highlight of my week is not hurting myself. Yeah. So I don't want to play pickup. <laughs> I do, my friend's like, you want to play some flag football? It's like, no, <laughs> no, I do not want one of y'all to run into my knee and get another niece. No, like stop playing. If you're over 40, stop it. Just stop all the CrossFit. Like, why? Why are y'all CrossFitting? (laughs) What, what, when are you going to carry a tire that big? Like, why are you doing it? Like, I just don't understand. I don't understand why people got to get those
1: split squats up, bro.
0: Oh my gosh. It's like (laughs) this whole CrossFit thing is ridiculous to me. It's just so annoying. Yeah.
1: Well, also, it's not even like super great for you. If the instructors would just be way more adamant about form, that would be one thing, but they're always pushing for like your your PR, you know? It's just like this motherfucker well, can't even li- like they're doing deadlifts with their back. You can't push them to PR yet, man. Like teach them how to do it. You can't wa- you can't just throw up weights like it's nothing. Like you are going to hurt yourself guaranteed when it's i see not a matter when i if, see
0: people a on a pull-up bar that look like dolphins swimming through those like Urgh. like i was like what are you doing what you like, like what is this what is this like a fish just jumping through the water i was like that's not how you're 74
1: do it. pounds overweight oh yeah. my
0: god it's it's just so you have a couple ridiculous. things to work on first like i i can't deal with people like yeah. that like i and well look, they made it a religion Oh, they do religion they did and i get it that community gets really close yeah. and and i have friends that do crossfit and it's almost trauma bonding cuz you're all
1: hurting yourself together
0: yes you know what i mean <laughs> it's like we're all destroying our bodies together yeah. cuz here's five. a problem here's a problem with that everybody can't do the same things cuz everybody <laughs> aren't at the same levels yep. when you get older like me the two things you need to have is an airline hookup and a doctor you know that's, that's the two main important things in your life yep. and my doctor was like so many clients come from crossfit it's ridiculous
1: that makes a lot of sense
0: you know because they're just abusing their bodies and their body's not made for that right not right now maybe when you're 20 yeah. Crossfit it up. Yeah. When you're over 40, stop,
1: stop. <laughs> or just automatically assume that it's half of the weight that you're thinking you can do. hundred <laughs> percent. You know what I mean?
0: You know, maybe instead of doing do the movement. pull-ups like a dolphin, just do like yeah. 10
1: normal pull-ups. Yes, yeah, do three. Do three. Yeah. Yeah. With a little, little resistance band that, that pulls you back up. Exactly. You, yeah. That's what I do. That's what I, I'm trying to live. <laughs> pain-free. You talked about coming up with material a lot from like looking at your past and your personal life. Is there anything that you hold as like almost sacred that is? I'm not going to talk about this. On
0: nothing. Nothing. Now, there's stuff I won't talk about, like in my next special because I'm putting together another special. So there's stuff like, oh no, I don't want to talk about that now because mm-hmm. the way I do my stand up, and I got this. I remember having because Joe Coy started me in comedy; he's my mentor. Okay, and our whole thing is for us and storytellers. If you ever sit down to write a joke, stop. If you sit down to write a story, that's where you wanna be and heighten that story. That's where I live. you know, Because for me, this is just for my comedy and I'm not disrespecting anybody else. I'm talking about myself. I wanna be a real life sitcom to people. Hmm. I want them to, like my first special, my son was three and my daughter wasn't even born. On my third special that I'm putting the material together, my son is gonna be probably six or seven, and my daughter will be four. I want people to fall in love with me and my family. I want people to watch a special and go, that was funny and I love his family, Mm. rather than I like that one joke. Because this is my personal experience, people outgrow jokes, but they don't outgrow you. Totally, They love you, They'll love you way more than the joke.
1: This is a perfect conversation for this because in the business world, marketing, sales, everything that I do, everybody always talks about storytelling because it's one of the most important skills that you can master because it comes down to one of the most important overarching skills that anybody can master is communication. The ability to move a crowd of people to do something, whether that's your team and they're your employees (laughs) And you're trying to motivate them to move toward a certain goal in your business, or whether you're doing stand-up comedy and you're just trying to get everybody to laugh and have a good time, the ability to affect people in a way to move them from this point to this point to this point. Can you give us like a couple of I don't know tips, tricks? Kind of makes it sound like you know parlor tricky. I'd like well, give us like a structure that you work through when you're trying to write or tell an effective story.
0: For me, I try to tell stories that never attack, but are very true and honest. Mm. Like the whole water fountain joke, mm-hmm. you know, I would never drink out of a fountain. That's disgusting. That literally talks about how bad white people treated my grandfather and my father. Mm-hmm. And Like real heavy material. It's heavy. Yeah. But people are laughing because I don't say, and white people, you know what you, I didn't <laughs> say that. I don't say that. I just yeah. go, my grandfather was born in 1902. That's a. Went through injustices you couldn't even imagine. Guess who's feeling that in the room? Mm-hmm. Black people are feeling that's. They're saying that's messed up. White people are going, yo, that's messed up. But they know who caused that. And then when I go, my dad went through segregation and not too long ago had to march to drink out of water. Black people going, that's messed up white people going, we did that, that's messed up. But I'm not blaming the white people in the room, yeah. but we're all on the same journey. Yeah. And- Facts are facts. Facts are facts. And everybody's, cause they're from my family. Mm-hmm. You can't argue this, yeah, it's right, like, right. it's my story, it's my family. And then when I go, I would never drink out of a water fountain. That's disgusting. What that does, and that, that to me, that's, for me, that's a perfect joke. Yeah. Cause it takes you through a journey it makes you feel something. But then, I, it's almost like you pop a balloon. Totally, and it's everybody, building tension the whole time. It builds tension, and then everybody laughs at the same time. Yeah. Basically, by me going, I would never drink out of a water fountain, I take the blame off of everybody in the room, and I take the hit for everybody to laugh mm-hmm. at the story right so So that's to me that's kind of like storytelling i love the moments i remember i was in a room with dave chappelle and he said sometimes silence is better than a laugh because they're listening and he goes it's so hard to get a room full of people just to listen but when it's quiet and they're engaged and you see people start leaning forward to the story that's i love that feeling yeah and when i go through that story like i didn't say it like i say on stage but it gets serious i get like you know my grandfather was yep. born in 19 you know i get serious mm-hmm. and then when i hit that punchline, the room explodes yeah yeah and I've, I've proved my point i've i've historically gave you a story that's that's fact mm-hmm different color people in the audience went through their own journey and how they were affected by that. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, I don't blame anybody in the room and I don't empower anybody in the room. Yeah. I don't say black people are right or white people are wrong. I go, I would never drink out of a family. So I think the arc brings it back to you and brings it back to me because I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to let everybody know how it was. Yeah. Now, that's what I feel, that's my strength in comedy. And when I write a story, it's that's kinda like my formula. I wanna inform people, but at the end, I don't wanna blame, unless it's you. Unless sure. I'm writing a very current joke, and it's not about my family or me, and it's about a certain group, yeah. then yeah, yeah, I want you to take the blame on that one. Yeah. But that's really not my comedy style either. Sure. sure. But, yeah, yeah. you know, but now looking through my kid's eyes, them being mixed, you know, it's kind of like I, I I'm at this weird point where it's like, oh, should I say more? And then it's kind of like, well, I could say more if it's genuine to really how I feel, rather than just speaking out and being angry about stuff. Cause you don't win like instead that. of
1: going on like a rant that yeah, I makes the entire ra- group feel bad.
0: Yeah. I would rather go, you know what? I got kids and I'm seeing this happen. Yeah. Now that's something where I don't care what color you are, you go, oh. Okay, I got kids too, yeah. and I want this world to be a better place, but here are some problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You see, that's a different way to go about it where people it, it, acknowledging, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. look, I got kids, I'm seeing this happen. This needs to be, you know, I need to speak about this. So that's if I were to ever get, talk about those trigger topics or anything, that would be the way into it. But it would have to, I would have to feel authentic about it too, sure. and not like I'm just, I I tell you, you know, like because that does nothing.
1: Yeah, I love that. Sitting down, don't sit down to write jokes. Sit down and tell stories because that's
0: really where it is. And I I would just say be authentic. Yeah. When you tell and and be honest. Yeah. You know, I see so many. I'm on the news so much. You know, like when I go to different cities. And I see great newscasters and I see people that read the news with no empathy. Mm-hmm. They're just reading the teleprompter. And yeah. the people that are in the big markets, a lot of them can read that teleprompter, but you actually feel like they care. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? And that's the difference in story. That's great storytelling. And then there's some that are just telling a story. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference. It's a big Absolutely. St- it's a yeah. big difference.
1: And there's not a lot of the like like the Mitch Hedberg. Joke, 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 joke.
0: Like I, I love Sam morell Mark Norman, yeah. right? I, but I I, they're I so feel like they're great. <laughs> they're great. But that's not me. Yeah, and right. I would never
1: try to be there. They are joke writers. Well, it's funny. Anytime they do the, what's that on Joe Rogan? They do the Protect Our Parks. Yeah. And they bring on Shane Gillis and yep. Mark Norman. And the whole time, Mark Norman, like, here's a word and spits out just like this, the most corny dad joke. Yeah. It, but it's just, he's like, I can't help it. Can't help it. It's just yeah. who I am. You know what I mean? And and that's that's the way comedy. his brain Yeah, comedy. <laughs> that's
0: the way his brain works. Yeah, you right. know? And it's interesting because different people, different comic styles, like me, I could never be that quick. Mm. And I respect that so much. Yeah. But I'm a dude that would like sit down, see something happen and create a ten minute story about yeah. it and give you every detail but make it
1: funny. You and know what I mean? That's I mean, that's Dave Chappelle is phenomenal mastered and rewritten the art of storytelling it seems it's pretty
0: amazing i was listening to his i believe it was called 846 the one about uh, george floyd george floyd and i was on i forgot spotify maybe but this is the one that wasn't on netflix this was his practice show Mm -hmm. and it just popped up on my spotify so this is the one where he practiced the material and it was different than the one in the special where this is the first time he ever talked about it and wow. he goes well i have to see if it works you know and it was interesting hear him work it out
1: yeah, yeah you know where a lot of stuff
0: didn't work that worked in the special but that's what i love about comedy you gotta try it and that and this is why i love comedy more than any other profession you actually have to do it to know if it's funny you can't assume it's, it's funny part <laughs> it is it's the most vulnerable part yeah it's it's I remember like this is the difference from being a comedian and a host I used to go into castings as a host and they would go oh you're a host go ahead do your lines Mm -hmm. now they go oh my god I saw your clip or oh my god I saw you here Mm -hmm. you're so funny so excited Mm -hmm. to have you in this casting go for it yeah just the respect level of if you're a good comedian, because the industry knows that's the tough. You by yourself on a stage entertaining totally. people for an hour. It's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. No production, but it's just you. And now, and in the industry, they know actors know. So it's great to be able to have that talent where you can sit down and tell a story.
1: Yeah.
0: And people are engaged in that story. And that's what it's about. For me, that's what I love to see.
1: Everybody has like a reverence for things that the general population wishes they could do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, that's why professional athletes have such a draw, Mm -hmm. even from actors, entertainers, people that would be maybe more famous. They have this draw to like boxers, fighters, because it's just like, oh man, that's the pinnacle. That's like who I want to be. That's even the same with body parts.
0: Sure. Like anytime something's hard to obtain. Yeah that's what becomes popular on the body yeah. kings used to be fat yeah. because they had all the money for food
1: right everybody so everybody was starving
0: wa- yes <laughs> so everybody wanted to be fat because that showed wealth mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. then it became oh big lips because not a lot of people had big lips mm-hmm. then it became big butts because that wasn't normal so you actually had to pay to get big butts yeah. so things that are hard like. In the 50s or 60s, it was super real thin. Totally. What's it look? Because it was hard to obtain. Mm -hmm. Anything that's hard to obtain, that becomes popular. Yeah, now it's fitness
1: and six pack and tone. Yes.
0: You know, it's being in your 40s, going to CrossFit and like that's popular. So it's like, well, I got to do it too. You know, and I think individuals like me and other people are like, no,
1: we're good. That's why I think it applies so much to comedy. Yes. because I don't think there's anybody that you could find that could be like, nah, I'm good. You yeah. know what I mean? Like a lot of people are like that when it comes to a six pack or whatever. Yeah. But like with com, everybody wants to be funny. Yes. Everybody wants to have that like, at- just magnetic attraction of being able to control a room of people and elicit one of the most joyous responses that you can possibly elicit from that room.
0: It's so amazing. I used to wonder, like I, I had friends before I started headlining, they would come back from tour so tired. I go. All you did was perform. I mean, come on, right? But I believe in energy. I think it's a transfer of energy. Mm-hmm. Like you're going into a room that a lot of people have bad day. Yeah. Terrible days. Some of them okay. Some of them like, all right, make me laugh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That energy has to go somewhere. Okay. So I really feel you're putting out all this energy, and you have to take all their energy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what gets you so tired. And I think that's yeah. why so, so many comedians are not happy because you go from, look, if you do two shows in a night, you go from this high of being on stage, then you got to hit a low of between shows. Then you got to get it back up to a high and then you're in a hotel by yourself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like me or you hit that low in the hotel by yourself, you're like, I gotta go out. And then a sure. lot of comedians just stay out and drink. Right. So it's almost like this chasing crazy, the high again. Yeah. It's this crazy <clears throat> roller coaster ride. So now when I understand when comedians say they're depressed because you're in a city by yourself, you felt like a rock star in that venue. Mm-hmm. But then outside that venue, you're alone. Yeah. You're just a guy. You're just a dude. Yeah. You're just a dude or a gal in that town. And <laughs> yeah. that's why I I I mean, I'm lucky where I bring friends now because it's a very high and low thing, you know,
1: and it's very like exhausting mentally. Do you do anything on purpose to try to combat that type of stuff?
0: I try to stay busy during the day. What If I bring a certain group of comics, what I'll do is like I'll book a tour for like if we perform Friday and Saturday night. Saturday, like in the afternoon, we'll do it. So I'll get a car and the car will take us to all the sites. Mm. Cause I also want to learn something. If I'm in a city, yeah, might as well learn something about that city. I'm at sure. this, it's weird. Like when you're young, you don't want to learn anything. Then when you get older, it's like, oh, let me, let me learn something about this city. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I like to do that. I like to go to restaurants that local restaurants, I like sure. to see things that locals see. So I'm really big into that right now.
1: So. Yeah. That's great, dude. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know you got a lot of stuff to go to oh, yeah. take some more time. Maybe we'll do a part two sometime. But I wanted to ask you about about this because I thought it was really interesting. I didn't know this, this is actually from my producer doing some research mm-hmm. before I did this. You were on the very first episode of Fear Factor yes. ever. And you ate sheep eyeballs? Yes. It was? yes. Was Joe that...
0: Rogan was the host. Yeah. That was the first time I ever met Joe Rogan. So I was in Austin, Texas. Were, you, doing,
1: I, were you into radio. comedy?
0: No. Okay. I just started comedy like 12 years ago. Okay. So I'm newer in comedy, but this was like, I'll say 2001. Yeah. So it was 2001. I was a radio DJ in Austin, Texas. And I'll never forget it. There was an ad in the paper that said, if you want to try something and you're not that adventurous, but you want to take an adventure, you know, come to this casting. I went, I got booked. It was my first time in LA. I remember showing up and they had the whole cast. They kept us in a hotel for like a week to make sure they really wanted us. Then they all let us meet. And it was at this, on Sunset Strip, it was at that cowboy place where everybody rides the Saddle Ranch, right? And that's where I met Joe Rogan for the first time. I went through the show and it was, since it was the pilot episode, they were trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, And so I remember when they made us eat sheep eyeballs and literally you would, bite down into the eyeball and it would explode in your mouth and then you had to chew the retina and it just this cr- I still could taste it man and you had to eat three of them man it God. was disgusting and Joe's just laughing and Yeah, but then after that, you know, I I didn't really keep in touch with him. But once I got into comedy, we reconnected. And it's pretty cool to see what he's accomplished in that time and what I've accomplished in that time. But it's, yeah, being on the pilot of Fear Factor. I think when they aired us, we were six, number six, but they shot us first. And back then on Fear Factor, they wanted relationships. So it was more like the people that did Real World they did the first seasons of fear factor so they wanted it more about there was a villain in each episode there sure. was people that yeah. gained you know so it was more about relationships rather than it became just super hot people doing stunts yeah at the end you know at the beginning it was about relationships <laughs> they were trying to build arcs and yeah all that arcs stuff. and stuff like that yeah and then you were there for the last episode ever shot of fear oh factor. yeah Oh, yeah, when they made uh, people drink donkey cum. Yeah. Yeah, I went to that episode.
1: <laughs> and that I, sounds like a blast.
0: <laughs> let me tell you, I was there, and Joe Rogan goes, You got to see this, man. I go, What? And he goes, Dude, they're drinking donkey cum. I go, What? <laughs> and these people are just. Uh, and I go, oh my god. And he goes, We're gonna get canceled. And I go, Yeah, you probably are after that. And I was there that day. I'll happened. never forget yeah. it. And, they, and it happened. They never, they never showed another episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. Some stuff is just you can't stomach it. It's no, just like, literally, yeah, you can't literally. stomach donkey Kong. Like gallons. It was like it was like what well, it was like one of those things where if you miss the target or something, you have to drink more of it. Or oh it yeah, something I like I that, don't right?
0: remember. I was just so disgusted. I think I think when I got there, Because it it took him a while to shoot that. I just saw the first person take that big jug or whatever and, and just chug it. And I, I was like, I'm done, bro. Uh, I, I'm out. This is uh, all I needed to see. Because exactly. my friend was actually the producer of Fear Factor, like the uh, executive no producer. He created the show. And he's the one that invited me out that day. Yeah, that's and funny. I was shooting it for some TV show. I forgot. But I was like, yo, uh-uh, I'll just interview you later. I'm, <laughs> I'm done with this whole donkey cum thing. I think it was donkey And so cum. was everybody else. And so was yeah. everybody else. Yeah. But hey, man. Yeah. First and last. Yeah. <laughs> I, I booked in, booked in yeah, which is what you're known for, really. There, yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. There you go.
1: <laughs> well, listen, dude, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming on. Before we take off, where can people go find your well, stuff?
0: Well, first of all, thanks for ruining my lunch by bringing that up. <laughs> I really appreciate that. No, but everything, michaelyo.com. I'm on this big tour. We're moving out of clubs and doing small theaters now. So everything's growing. It's beautiful. Still, my special. If you haven't seen it out there, check that out. It's on my website, michaelyo.com, and it's called I Never Thought. And man, self-funded it myself, put it out myself. And that's the whole thing. After I beat COVID, man, it was all about second chance at life and, you know, taking control of your own destiny. And that's my whole journey now. And just really meeting good people. That's what I'm all about. Good people and just, you know, helping each other out and everybody taking it to the next level.
1: Love it, dude. I love meeting people who just decided to do things a little bit different. Yes. And that, those are those are my types of people. So I appreciate you coming on, man. This is a lot of fun. If you want to go check out more of Michael's stuff, head over to michaeleo.com. Go see where he's going. Go watch him and do some stand-up and stuff. I'm sure you will have a fantastic time. Dude, thanks so much for coming on. All right, fun. bro. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischappell.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's Travischapel.com team.